Have you ever been known as a Casanova? I've been known as a cassowary, like one of those big birds. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, in middle school, I would peck people. <laughs> That's understandable. Yeah, I was full of hormones. Experimental <laughs> ones. They were trying to turn me into a bird. That's pretty fucked up that they do that. Yeah, but it was for um, like a USA like made-for-TV movie, so it was fine. Oh, okay. It was like an up-all-night kind of thing. What was it called? Uh, it's called uh, My Private Cassowary. <laughs> uh, cassowary and the... Uh, it's the Cassowary Chronicles. There were six of them. Oh, okay. It was like a Vice Squad or uh, whatever. Okay. They Vice made a Academy. Yeah, it was like Vice Academy. They made a bunch of them. There was only one Vice Squad, but there were six Vice Academies. They recast me after the first one. Oh, no. That sucks. Well, I was young. Fair enough. And once they fed me all those bird hormones and I was pecking everyone, I was uncontrollable. <laughs> I guess that's fair. Yeah. Um, I'm going to think of a good cassowary related film pun at some point during this episode and just drop it on you like a uh, goddamn h-bomb okay well we'll uh we'll work on that uh well welcome to the raincoat report this is boss here with jeremy hello i'm a bird <laughs> and uh now that i think of it i don't think we introduced ourselves on the last episode but that's okay they knew who we were yes they've been listening for three years yes some of them and uh, uh some of them fewer yes some of them i'm not convinced they exist at all I think a bot just hits like a button and it just plays it sometimes. I'm okay with that. Yeah, as long as it's enjoying itself. (laughs) Well, as our listeners over the past few years know, there are uh, several things that we have uh, revisited over time. Several actors we've revisited and several directors that we've revisited. Certainly. uh, We've had critical reevaluations. That's what's important about the Raincoat Report is... uh, I'm pretty much like the wind, you know? Yeah. I'll hit you real hard at first, but, uh, you know, a couple of minutes later, just blowing the other way. <laughs> That's fair, I guess. You know, I got, I got a hot take, but uh, I don't really mean it. <laughs> well, today we have a film which is credited to uh, be directed by uh, old Johnny Wad himself, John Holmes. Mm-hmm. Though, uh, in reality, um, it seems to be the work of one of Jeremy's old friends slash nemesis's, his frenemy, mm-hmm. Carlos Tobolina. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, uh, we, have a, we have quite a relationship going yes. way back. Uh, first, I hated him, and I loved him. I hated him again for a little bit. <laughs> uh, I'm on the fence about him. I'm... Much less on the fence about, oh, the bad one. Oh, the bad one? Um, he directed the first movie we watched, and everything else has sucked. Oh, Anthony Spinelli? Yeah, I was trying to say Anthony Quinn. <laughs> yeah, he's not like, uh, he hasn't betrayed me in the way that Anthony Spinelli has. Okay. He made a good first impression, and every time since then, it's just like, he's like, hit me up for money, but he like, never answers like my texts or calls or anything when I want to <laughs> hang out. And when I, we do hang out, he 
uh, really boring. Fair dull, enough. Dull guy, waste your time. You got to wait like an hour for him to show up. <laughs> and then he wants $20. Well, that's a bummer. He's always wanted $20. And uh, he adjusted for inflation. So at this point, I've known him since the 70s. That's a lot of money. Yeah. But uh, Carlos Tovolina has uh, been a constant frustration and delight. Uh, <laughs> he's a he's a person that yeah we as viewers have a complicated relationship with. I am happy that uh, you got me one of the the Vinegar Syndrome VHS of Jungle Blue. Oh yes, yes, that is uh, perhaps his best work. I don't know if I'll ever watch it, but uh, it's going to have a prominent place of. Uh, I'm going to put it on display somehow. It's a I'm going to get a shadow box for it. So when people come over, I'm like, look at this. This is a movie where uh, a guy wears a gorilla suit and sticks his dick out of the middle. Yeah. And they couldn't return that gorilla suit to the costume shop, <laughs> let me tell you. It's uh, it's quite a collector's item to have. Yeah. Uh, this one, not so much. No, but uh, yeah, I've, I've been thinking about it, and I've mentioned on this show before the... Uh, large tomes written by Stephen Thrower mm-hmm. about the films of Jess Franco. And there's part of me that wants to find a way to finance me writing the same uh, sort of exploratory uh, literature about the works mm-hmm. of Carlos Tobolina. Yeah, it would be a uh, be a labor of love, that's for sure. Yeah, it would... Uh, <laughs> It would be something, uh, it would be a risk of my sanity for sure. It would sell perhaps in the dozens. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that's everyone's dream ultimately is to have a kind of a vanity book published on their favorite topic. And uh, as far as those go, that's a pretty noble one, I think. It's an unexplored, underexplored topic. Uh, Vinegar Syndrome has diligently been releasing his films despite. Uh, perhaps no clamor for them. <laughs> he, and, uh, uh, yeah, IMDb has 51 films listed for him, so that's a lot more manageable than Jess Franco, but still quite a lot. You have to also make sure that there were ones that weren't created under pseudonyms that people yeah. haven't recorded yet. Yeah, there'd be a lot of research. I'd have to talk to a lot of people, which, you know, I hate talking to people. You would have to make a lot of phone calls where people probably have had, uh, like, tracheotomies. Oh, yeah, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, you know. Yeah. We'll we'll see what happens. But uh, Carlos Tobolina is an interesting subject to explore, I think. Uh, I think so. Uh, He's become like a a white whale. Yes. Never going to stop chasing him. And uh, we chased him right into the arms of uh, this week's film, The New Erotic Adventures of Casanova. Which again is uh, theoretically co-directed by Carlos Tobolina and John Holmes. I'm not sure how much in, like actual involvement John Holmes has. They he put- is the sole credited uh, director on screen. Yes, I they think put might, his name on there for tax reasons, probably. It's probably all a PR stunt. The idea is John Holmes is this uh, sex Lothario, this modern-day Casanova. Certainly. And, and uh, uh, that is narratively what it's about in this film, really. Perhaps also an auteur of sorts. Yes. Both uh, 
director, both actor and director, like a uh, like an Orson Welles. Yes. You know, in a lot of ways, he was the opposite of Orson Welles. Orson Welles got fat and died, and John Holmes got real skinny and died because oh. of the thing he got. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, John Holmes, it's interesting because, uh, yeah, I watched a documentary about him, and one of the things that they talked about was the fact that, you know, he was he was well known for telling tall tales. One of the things that he liked to tell people was that uh, he would uh, go to Europe to be a uh, prostitute. A gigolo. A gigolo. Yes. Yeah, like in the Deuce Bigelow sequel. Yes, there's also a... Uh, there's a Carlos Tobolina film uh, with John Holmes in it. It's like Hollywood Gigolo or something like that. I can't remember off the top of my head, but uh, that's the one with uh... man. I'm fucking up with actor names today. I cannot remember uh, anyone for the life of me. Richard Gershwin, California Gigolo, and actually it was a Bob Chin movie. I was wrong. Okay, well, I. <laughs> associate Carlos Tobolina and Bob Chin with John Holmes pretty intimately. Yes, they they uh, are both uh, frequent uh, wranglers of John Holmes. Yeah, a lot of their job is just making sure he has enough cocaine. Right, but only the right amount. No, if he has too much, you'll have to flush it down the toilet. Yes. <laughs> uh, but yes. Richard uh, Gere, American Richard Gigolo. Gere. Oh, okay. I thought you might be thinking like Midnight Cowboy. No. Thinking of Urban Cowboy, that movie's got a great soundtrack. Let me tell you, <laughs> like uh, like country rock, you know, like country. Listen to the Urban Cowboy soundtrack after you listen to the Raincoat Report, of course. Yes, uh, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Raincoat Report. Yeah, we didn't plug anything last episode. Yeah, either. Raincoat Report at Gmail dot com. And if you want to follow us on our actual Patreon and not the one that Jeremy made up, it's not fake. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Raincoat Report. Mindset. Raincoat Report. $5 a month, you get our bonus episodes, including this Friday's episode where we uh, we watch a uh, an adaptation into the adult industry of one of America's most watched television shows. Yeah, we are following on the heels of our, uh, of our return to uh, an age of innocence. With uh, happy days mm-hmm. to uh, an age of, uh, let's say, dissipating American values in a sense. <laughs> yes, in a sense. In a sense. If you uh, consider it, uh, we're tracking the decline and fall of Western civilization through porn parodies. <laughs> yes, we are. And uh, what a way to do it. And we've got a long way to go still. Yes. but We uh, have not yet scraped rock bottom. No, but... Uh, We've made our ways into uh, 80s pop culture, and really even uh, modern pop culture in a way, but we'll uh, we'll get into that on Friday for our patrons. Yes, a figure of great renown, yes. so much so that, uh, well, we made a porn parody about him. Yes, but uh, even after... That's neither here nor there. Yes. It's over there. A yes. couple days away on Patreon. Yes, but for right now, we'll talk more about the new erotic adventures of Casanova. So, unexpectedly, as something 
at least credits wise, co-directed by John Holmes. Uh, this film stars John Holmes. Uh, and we also get a large, large cast of characters. Um, not a lot of people that we've, uh, seen, uh, in big roles. Uh, we do have Peter Johns. I know we've seen a few places. Uh, we've also got Blair Harris and, uh, John Seaman and, uh, David Book, who we've seen at least once before can't judge a david book by its cover no (laughs) there's a few other names that uh (laughs) we've seen before uh and you know like phaedra grant i know we've seen her before but this has a large cast of characters most of which are named uh which is not typical of all porn films certainly not of all carlos topolina films am i coming too loud i think you're all right okay i feel like i'm blowing myself out over here but uh if you you think it's fine i'm not gonna worry about it yeah you're fine okay i just don't want to uh, hurt our precious listeners little earsy weirsies yes Uh, and you know we've got a bunch of other names susan silver jane goodman which is similar to the name of somebody who we might be mentioning on patreon as a hint uh, Will Verde, Cynthia Linger, Bob, Will Forte. Uh, yes, Will Forte. No, Will Verde. Uh, Bob Dwyer. Who, Bob Iger. Bud Dwyer. No, Bob Dwyer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so yeah, uh, this has a large cast of characters. Uh, I'll go ahead and point out the fact that uh, the ages of consent aren't a concern of this film. Not in the cast, but in the uh, narrative, mm-hmm. in the characters. Uh, so yeah, that's a interesting part of the film as well. Well, do you know much about like the historical Casanova? No, I don't. Uh, I know that he is history's great lover, but that's about it. He had a diary, uh, quite a long Wikipedia entry, which I uh, skimmed. Yes. But one thing I do know about him is that their writings, I don't know if they're his writings necessarily, but they're credited to him about like his adventures uh, mm-hmm. in the hollow earth where he meets like mole people. Oh, really? Yeah. And I did not are, know that uh, about him. And they are strange, uh, kind of like sexless, like childlike beings. Well, they're not sexless, but they are like uh, a childlike in yeah, a way. Yeah. So, uh, uh, beyond the other details that make them inhuman it does track (laughs) Uh, Uh, one of history's great pedophiles uh perhaps we're gonna do a uh expose yeah an expose we're gonna bust this open like greg geraldo pummeling into that vault (laughs) greg geraldo yeah greg is that his name geraldo rivera greg geraldo i believe is a comedian yeah Yeah. (laughs) well he also busted in um i think a teenager maybe and that's why he's not a star anymore right uh i don't know i'm gonna say it come at me greg geraldo i'll take you to court (laughs) geraldo rivera was the one who busted into al capone's vault and there was nothing there yeah and Greg Geraldo busted in a teenage girl, and thankfully, he was shooting blanks. Uh, 
He died of an overdose in 2010. I can say whatever I want about him. <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, I, I met Geraldo Rivera, I think, as we all know by now. Uh, Greg Geraldo, uh, gone but not forgotten. Occasionally misremembered, but uh, still with us in spirit. <laughs> He's busting in teens and that great porno shoot in the sky. No, wait. <laughs> That's for me. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I think that by now it's about time for us to go ahead and go to a break so we don't accuse anybody else of being a pedophile. Thomas Chong. Thomas Chong is... He's not a, not a pedophile, is he? No, I have the After Hours... Uh, oh, yeah. Wikipedia pulled up. Yeah, Cheech and Chong are in that. Yeah, it's funny that on Wikipedia he's listed as Thomas Chong and not Tommy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, After Hours is a good movie. Listeners, Criterion just put it out. Check it out. Yeah, and if uh, you like that one, check out Cape Fear. We both watched different Scorsese films this week. Yes, I need to watch Cape Fear. I haven't actually seen it. De Niro is great in it, and yeah. honestly, I feel like if they wanted to do like a third remake, if they cast Matthew McConaughey, he would do it perfectly. Okay, okay. He, uh, De Niro was kind of channeling McConaughey years before he was like on the scene. Okay, I, I can say. believe that. Yeah, it's a it's a good film, and unlike The Simpsons would have you believe, they spend a lot less time on the houseboat than you would think. Okay, fair enough. No uh, rakes either. Yeah. Uh, I gotta <laughs> Which, say, uh, side throw Bob stepped on repeatedly. Yeah, I gotta say, uh, I think The Simpsons kind of clears the Scorsese remake for me. Fair enough. I think I prefer uh, for the classics. <laughs> All right, uh, we'll be back to talk more about the new erotic adventures of Casanova. Colonel Setsky, vicious swine. He he devotes his entire life to practicing at the sword. He's given me many invitations, all of which I refuse. I despise him. He's killed many fine gentlemen. He's considered the best swordsman in Europe. And also the most cruel. How did you avoid him? Well, actually it was by deviating his sword to the right until he left an opening on his left. And though he was a brave and skillful swordsman, my sword crossed his heart. I love to not learn from my mistakes. <laughs> It's just funnier when you don't, you know? Yeah, it shows that you're a certain type of person and nothing's going to change that. Yeah. <laughs> and um, for good or bad, as long as you get the laughs, it's fine. Yes. Well, I will say that now that you've revealed a little bit more about the writings, theoretically, of Casanova... I'm a little uh, disappointed that there's nothing about mole people in this film. There's very little in this film. There's very little just in general in this film, yes. Uh, uh, but there's definitely no mole people. There is a sequel, right? There is a sequel, and we'll have to suffer through it at some point. That's a personal choice. <laughs> we haven't suffered We haven't suffered through uh, <laughs> Super Hornio Brothers 2 yet. We'll get there. I don't want to. You're going to have to. 
it's like we need to know if king koopa gets stopped or not it's like the real super mario brothers 2 i'm just never gonna play it (laughs) (laughs) so the new erotic adventures of casanova opens on a uh, parisian 18th century marketplace we see people walking around and then we turn to the canal as a boat passes we get text on screen that says Lady Angie is lonely, despite her numerous charms. Colonel Zatsky loves her, but she despises him. So, being a great swordsman, he kills anyone who gets close to her. We fade into a shot of a ballroom where there's some ballroom dancing taking place. Then we get more on-screen text. At a dance party, a noble Italian asked Lady Angie for a date. His name, John Giacomo Casanova. Yes, and his mole people were the <laughs> Megamikre, and they were a race of uh, small hermaphroditic dwarves. Oh. Yeah, things get stranger. <laughs> <laughs> I'd certainly hope that comes up in the sequel. <laughs> yeah, certainly, me too. Um, strange, perverse things. This week's Bonk of the Week is for... Monsieur Casanova. <laughs> you keep it keep it in your pants, bro. <laughs> so our credits begin as the camera pans through the trees, finding Casanova, again, John Holmes here, on horseback. He's stopped by Colonel Zatsky, who can't wait to see them. They've apparently agreed to a duel, and both men seem very confident and their ability to win as the sword fight begins. The credits are still going on the screen, and it's at this point that I realize that, John, John, that I realize that John Holmes is the sole credited director, but more importantly, Fernando Fortes is the cinematographer. And he is always ready. Yes, he is always ready. <laughs> I was really surprised I Like to Watch was not a Tobolina film of the pair that we chose. Yes. <laughs> Um, it has, it has, uh, has that ring to it. Honestly, there was another Carlos Tobolina film that I've seen before that I wanted to cover, and then I realized that I didn't actually own it, and I became very disappointed. So uh, I'm gonna have to buy that in the next Vinegar Syndrome sale. Uh, would you care to reveal that? Uh, that film is, it is a Fernando film. It is. Is there a Carnal Highways 2? There is not a Carnal Highways 2, unfortunately. It is Come Under My Spell. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, is that witches? It is about Fernando having magical powers to seduce women. Okay. And it's delightful. I'm down. Let's, uh, uh, let's take a break and find that one. (laughs) Yeah. Like most Carlos Tobolina films, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily great, but there's a lot of Fernando, and it's delightful in that sense. Anyhow, the gentlemen clang swords for a bit as they move through some trees, sword fighting. Casanova gets knocked down at one point, but works his way back to his feet. And then we get a bunch of footage of this sword fight sped up and continuing for quite a while. Eventually... Casanova tells Colonel Zatsky that he has a pressing event to attend, so he must end this now. 
Zatsky says the event will wait an eternity because he's going to send Casanova to hell. Unfortunately for the colonel, Casanova quickly punctures his chest and he falls to the ground. And I've noticed I'm about three minutes into the film and the uh, dramatic climax has already occurred. Yes. Uh, And this is when I begin to worry. Well, this film definitely did something I wasn't expecting, but we'll get to that when it happens. So Zatsky looks up and admits Casanova will in fact be on time for his rendezvous with Lady Angie. The colonel wishes him good luck before collapsing dead. Mm -hmm. Casanova takes the sword from the colonel's body and continues on. We cut to Casanova with Lady Angie. She knows that he has the reputation of being irresistible. She asks if he has a special secret, and he notes if there is one, she'll soon find out as he starts to rub the front of his pants. Yeah, he's... In this film, he's constantly touching himself, thinking about little hermaphroditic dwarves that he could fondle. (laughs) Casanova then goes on to explain that he had been challenged to a duel by Colonel Zatsky. She notes that he's the best swordsman in Europe and asks how Casanova avoided him. Casanova explains that he did not, in fact, avoid him. He bested him in a sword fight. Casanova then shares a gift with her. It's a gift from a friend of mine the Viceroy of Peru. It's called cocaine. I had already guessed when he popped out his little uh, compartment (laughs) thing. I was like, I don't... Once he said Peru, it was all over. Uh, But let's not ignore the fact that Lady Angie is uh, incredibly horned up at this act of murder he has committed on her behalf. Yes, so uh, Lady Angie is played by Jane Goodman. Uh, Just to uh, clear that up. Yeah, he explains that cocaine is used not only been. He explains that cocaine is used not only by men but also by women. She asks why and explains that it can heighten the enjoyment you have uh, during sex. They do some bumps and get ready to party. <laughs> he asks if uh, he can get comfortable. He notes that his sword is getting stiff. Lady Angie notes that she's getting aroused, and Casanova tells her that's the idea. They make it to a bedroom and uh, make out a bit. They make it to a bedroom and make out a bit before Casanova lays Lady Angie down on the bed and takes off her shoes and then her panties. He begins by licking her vagina a bit before kissing her. Then he stands up and drops trow. At the sight of his massive hog, Lady Angie says, Oh my lord, now I understand your fame. She licks and sucks his cock briefly. Then we cut to them making out naked, save for Angie's thigh highs, and Casanova pins her legs up and starts to fuck her. Then he shifts to his side and they fuck as they lay sideways face to face. He lays her on her back again and continues to pound away for a bit, Eventually, he pulls his cock out and strokes to come on his, to come on her belly. Lady Angie tells him he's so considerate. All the pleasure and none of the worry. Lady Angie says she hopes they can do it again soon. He tells her in five minutes. She wow. says that's okay, but she means she hopes that she can see him again on another day. He says they can, noting that she's exquisite, but he's going on a trip to a lovely town... 
I think he said the name of the town, but I couldn't catch it. But I wrote down Linden, Linden Tree. Something like that, something yeah. Something like that. But uh, he has a good line in the scene where he's like, my sword seems to be getting rather stiff. Yeah, I brought that up. Uh, that uh, was before they actually went to the bedroom. It was, but uh, I just want to bring it back up and how you, I need that on my board. Yeah. <laughs> That'll okay. be a good one. I'll press it a bunch. So we see a carriage traveling, and then we see a group of three women in lingerie playing with each other as Casanova sits in a chair nearby. He, in fact, likes to watch. <laughs> they make out for a bit and expose each other's vaginas. They ask Casanova if what they're doing is right, noting that he's the one who's a great lover. He says what they're doing is exciting, and he'll continue to watch them. Yeah, he doesn't... He's only here in, like, a personal capacity. He doesn't want to have to, like, advise them on how to do this. Yes. So, this is Louise, Gracia, and Miriam, who I don't believe are ever named in this scene. Uh, they're three sisters, and we... Uh, Learn more about him as we go on, but the ladies make out with each other and go down on one another. This continues for a bit with Casanova rubbing himself through his pants. And suckling on his fingertips. Yes. Which I do not care for. <laughs> one girl straddles another's face while the other goes down on the uh, straddled lady. We see Casanova unfasten his pants. They caress and lick one another, then ask Casanova to join them. He says, not yet, as this is an orgy for his eyes. He then asks when their mother and father will return, and they say two to three days. He says he must make sure to leave before they return. <laughs> the ladies, as we're told, are 16, 15, and 13. Understandable why he <laughs> will need to flee. Uh, I've developed a little theory that when he's sucking on his fingers, he's also just kind of discreetly rubbing cocaine on his gums. Yeah, that to, makes sense. To keep it going. Yeah. yeah. First up, the 16-year-old Gracia wants to kiss his cock. She, in fact, does more than kiss it, as the other two ladies whisper and watch excitedly. Gracia sucks and strokes his cock, and after a bit, Casanova lays her down and pushes his cock inside her, which she notes is very big, and it makes her immediately come as she announces... There. Now who's next, he says. Next is Louise, 15, <laughs> who confirms she isn't a virgin, noting they took care of that themselves. So again, as far as I know, these are adult women playing these characters, uh, just as a legal disclaimer. Definitely, yes. Casanova mounts Louise missionary and begins to fuck her as well. After nailing her for a bit, Miriam the third one, who is apparently 13, in quotes, mm. notes it's her turn, and she wants him to fuck her from behind, like father's dogs do it. Ah. At first I thought that she was banging dogs, but I think I've kind of discerned that she's just watched the dogs bang. Yeah, that's that was how I interpreted yeah, it. Yeah, my first instinct was disgusting. Oh, okay. She knows that she likes pain, which I guess is good, because Casanova's huge cock makes her cry out, though she demands more. Uh, a lot of the girls, like, just scream yes. when he inserts. <laughs> yes. It's very annoying. Uh, I think that's part of... I, I bet that's part of John Holmes's influence on the film. Yeah, he's like, no, they gotta, like, 
They gotta like holler. Yes. <laughs> is that is that the way the bird hollered in your USA show? Yeah. <laughs> it was like Wishbone, but I was a bird. Oh, Wishbone. I, for, I almost forgot Wishbone until you just now brought him up. Yeah, don't ever forget him. He was Never. a little... I learned about so many classic books from Wishbone. Yeah, he was a book. He was a dog. I wouldn't know anything He's about a, a tale dog. from Two Cities if not for Wishbone. Yeah, me either. I wouldn't know anything about the tale from Two Cities. But uh, I know that it was the best of times and it was the worst of times, much like this film. Yes. Speaking of which, as he's uh, fucking this uh, alleged 13-year-old, we then fade out and fade into modern times, where another John Holmes wakes up with a pool of cum on his belly. (laughs) Yes. This is where I get mad. (laughs) Why are you mad? I don't want this. So, yes, we have made it from the 18th century to today, where uh, we are meeting John, played by John Holmes as well. We're soon taken to what I guess is a therapy session. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, John is telling his therapist about these vivid dreams he's had ever since he found this box, which uh, we see on the table in front of him. It's like from Hellraiser. Yes. It's the puzzle box. Yeah, he's in trouble. He's been told that there are many sites to show him. Oh, no. He explains that he and his partner own a ranch. And uh, near that ranch, his family used to have a house. But apparently his family lost that house and an antique shop nearby purchased everything there. So uh, he went to the antique shop to find something from the house that they had gotten, and the owner returned to him a box that was found in his father's desk. It seems like this was free of charge, although it's not explicitly said so. Um, perhaps. I didn't look into any of the contract law. (laughs) So, uh, John returned to his car and opened the box to find letters with the monogram Casanova, which, I note, uh, isn't actually a monogram. That's just a name. The monogram that's just a name. This is John? He says it had the monogram of Casanova, but oh, a man okay. a monogram is usually like it's a letter. Yeah, it's yeah like an initial. initial. Okay, all right, sorry. Uh, anyhow, he's continuing to tell the therapist uh, about this story, who tells him to go on. He added that inside the box was a small green bottle. He put a few drops from the bottle on him, and it made him feel excited, like some sort of aphrodisiac. He then drove several hours and stopped at a motel to spend the night. He explains that the next morning he went to get breakfast, and then returned to his motel room to find the motel maid. We see her sniffing his jacket. So the maid here Mm -hmm. is played by Iris Medina. All right. Was she in Dracula Sucks? Perhaps. I wouldn't be surprised. Let's see. IMDb says that she was in Jungle Blue. Uh, She has four credits on IMDb. Dracula Sucks is not one of them. Okay. She was in... I was uh, just wondering if she... I knew there was like a girl who's just like a nurse who's in one scene. She is in four Carlos Tobolina films. 
Her Last Fling, The Ultimate Pleasure, The New Erotic Adventures of Casanova, and Jungle Blue. Excellent. Uh, well, I will note Jungle Blue is her last credit. Yes. You think she got lost in the jungle? Perhaps. She was lost Carlos in the jungle and never seen again. Yeah, she's like Jumanji. <laughs> <laughs> we cut to John returning to the hotel room to find the motel maid sniffing his jacket and reaching into her panties, playing with herself and writhing around. The therapist asks, Then what happened? And he explains, Well, I made love to her. So we see John rubbing his cock against her bush a bit, then him on top of her fucking her, leaning a bit sideways. John pounds away on the maid for a bit, and then she rides him cowgirl. He lays her back down on the bed and then fucks her a bit more before pulling out and coming on her stomach. John explains to the therapist they made love with a passion like he'd never known before. I loved it. It was beautiful, he says. He says, even later, when he arrived at the ranch, he was still thinking of that maid. We see John arrive in a driveway and meet a large group of people. Apparently there's an oil company coming tomorrow to see about drilling at this ranch, and Paul, his partner, who is uh, played by Peter Johns, is uh, excited. John dances with Paul's wife, Jane, a bit. So, this ranch makes me think of Spawn Ranch. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not as deserty. They probably don't film westerns here, but there's a bunch of hippie-type people living here, apparently. Oh, yeah, a bunch of dirty freaks. And uh, they're crazy, as we see. Oh. They all comment on John's cologne, which he explains he found in an old box. So they all smell him and also his jacket. And, uh, and that's when get, Casanova's magic gets in everybody. Yeah, they get in a dune buggy and they go murder Sharon Tate. <laughs> right? Uh, yes. Wow. Talking to the therapist, John explains that later on that night he felt possessed. All he could think about was fucking Paul's wife, Jane. He notes later on he heard a knock at the door. And then we cut to him laying naked in bed. He wraps himself in a towel before answering the door, where he finds Jane there. She asks if she should really be there, but notes that she and Paul don't sleep together nowadays, and she's sure that Paul's cheating on her with Rose. So, John and Jane make out and undress. As John is going down on Jane, we see Paul sneaking around... And then we see Anne walk into a room with George. Okay, so Paul again was Peter Johns. Jane is played by Tracy O'Neill. And then Anne is played by Maureen Spring. And George is Blair Harris. So Anne sneaks into George's room and immediately starts to go down on him. Then we see two ladies, Joyce and Marge, played by Pauline Wayne and Justine Taylor, respectively, start to get busy. And then we see Paul, uh, again, Paul being uh, Peter Johns, 
meeting up with Rose, who is uh, their maid, played by Susanna French. In true Carlos Tobolina fashion, at this point, most of the narrative of the film is just over it's gone off, until the very end. It's gone off the rails. Yes, and all it is is just a bunch of sex here. Or, I guess if it's a Tobolina, it's on the rails. Yeah, it's on the Tobolina rails. Yeah. It's, it's a different set of rails than most films have. Yeah, it's like when you pull that switch and you don't run over a bunch of people. You just run over one person who sucks. It's the trolley problem? Yeah, it's a trolley problem. Do you want to watch a Carlos Topolina film or not? (laughs) So we go back to Jane slowly sucking and licking John's cock for a bit before he lays her back on the bed and starts to make out with her before seemingly penetrating her as uh, she cries out again as soon as he uh, puts his cock in her. I need a powerful scream. I don't have one of those. Maybe we can steal one of these from this film. Yeah. We cut to Anne sucking off George. Start uh, when we start like doing films regularly. We'll just sub that in as like a Wilhelm scream instead. <laughs> we cut to Anne sucking off George. She wants him to fuck her, noting that that perfume made her horny. But George says, "I can never do that. Not with my sister." So George and Anne are apparently siblings. Mm-hmm. She assures him that she's on the pill, but he says that he can't and. Uh, Instead, tells her to keep sucking his cock. <laughs> no, yeah, that's he has his limits. This is as far as he's willing to go with his sister. We then see the ladies, Joyce and Marge, having more fun together as they're being watched, like in I Like to Watch, by a man played by David Book, who is apparently credited as Creepy. Yeah, I get that. C-R-E-E-P-E-E. He's just a voyeur. He's uh, peeping at them. Then we see Paul eating out Rose from behind. Uh, some background music starts playing that I feel like I recognize from another Carlos Tobolina film. John fucks Jane more and demands that George put his cock in her just a little bit. And he finally caves and uh, she mounts him cowgirl on the couch. Creepy watches Joyce and Marge go down on one another. Paul and Rose are 69ing. He works a finger in her, and in fact, she works a finger into his ass as well as she's sucking his cock. John is banging away and then rolls off the top of Jane and comes on her pubes. Back in therapy, John says that he knew Paul and his wife weren't getting along, and he figured Paul's wife had a lover anyway, but it wasn't really his place to ask. We then see Jane walking into a room with Bill, played by John Seaman. He's laying there, playing with his cock, and he wants to get a taste of her. Indeed, she pulls up her nightgown, and he starts to go down on her. Anne is riding George. He makes her get off of him. He tells her that he made him really horny, but they've got to stop. Anne tells him she wanted to come with him, and George says that She made him feel awful, and he needs to leave the room. (laughs) So then George finds himself next in Mary's bedroom. Uh, Mary being played by Phaedra Grant. (laughs) He's happy to find her there, getting on the bed and kissing her. Paul is still fucking Rose the maid and pulls out to come on our pubes. Back in John's room, he lays down and smokes a cigarette 
when he then gets another knock at the door. So he again wraps himself in a towel and answers the door, finding Anne, the sister who couldn't finish getting fucked. He knows that Anne doesn't have any clothes on, and she sits on his bed. He tells her she's a bit young, and she assures him that she's 16. She's a woman, and she can prove it. Hmm. He tries to get her to leave, but she ends up reaching under his towel and grabbing his dong. He tells her she's going to get herself in a lot of trouble. I guess at least he tries. Yeah. And she starts to suck his cock. She then tells him to fuck her because she's so horny. He has her lay down and mounts her missionary and begins to fuck her. Back in Mary's room, George pulls back her blanket to find her there naked. Jane sucks Bill's cock a bit. George goes down on Mary. John is still fucking Anne, rubbing his cock around her labia a bit. Mary sucks George's cock. Jane asks Bill to fuck her in her quote-unquote favorite way, which is apparently on their side spooning. Anne is riding John's cock as he rubs her asshole with his fingers. George and Mary are 69ing. Jane runs Bill Cowgirl. John gets back on top of Anne and fucks her more. George is fucking Jane doggy style and pulls out to come on her ass. Anne comes as John is fucking her and uh, apparently seems to cream pie her. She tells him that that was better than she could imagine was possible, and he tells her to scoot and close the door. Bill comes on Jane's ass. Marge and Joyce, the couple of ladies, are still fucking when John looks through the window to the room and decides to join them. He asks them if he can play with them, and they agree. Rose is playing with herself when George knocks on the door. She's happy he's there. She tells him that she's seen him looking at her before, but, as Neil Young once said, tonight's the night. Oh. That's what uh, Billy Corgan said. Tonight, tonight. Oh, yeah, he did eventually say tonight. The stars are right. Tonight's the night. We're in my big airship. (laughs) You seen that video? Yeah. Do you like this look? No, I don't like it when you hold your nose up. I'm a pig man. (laughs) George and Rose make out, and George fingers Rose. John and Joyce make out as Marge sucks his cock. Then the ladies decide to use the powers of teamwork to work on this man's giant wing. It's a good way to try to take it. Yeah. Uh, Doing it solo is hard. Yes. It's like uh, when you had found an elite enemy in World of Warcraft. Sometimes it would be too strong for you. Yeah, you gotta get a raid together. Yeah, or yeah, just, even just a friend. Yes. Yeah. Rose sucks George's cock as he fingers her. Joyce says she wants John to fuck her. In the ass. He asks if she likes it in the ass, and she says yes. Of course, she wasn't quite ready for John's giant hog, but she ultimately takes it like a champ. Meanwhile, Creepy is watching them from a bathroom keyhole and jacking it. John asks Joyce why she wants him to fuck her in the ass anyway, and Marge says it's because Joyce forgot to take her pill. But Marge adds that he can fuck her pussy, so John trades ladies. George is fucking Rose doggy style. John's on top of Marge fucking her. George pulls out and comes on Rose's ass and back. 
John pulls out and comes on Marge's belly as old Creepy watches and strokes out a load into his hand. <laughs> Rose is gyrating with cum on her back as George is fingering her. John's therapist asks him how old the girls were. He says he doesn't remember. Fourteen? Fifteen, maybe? She knows that's dangerous, and he says, yeah. <laughs> uh, what? <laughs> we see John collapsed in bed. We then see Rose walk into his room, asking if she could come in, but not waiting for a reply. John is resting his weary body, but a coxman's work is never done. Mm-mm. Rose says she hopes that she's not bothering him, but she knows that she can't resist spending some time with him. He asks, aren't you the maid? What would happen if someone found you here? She just says that she hopes that doesn't happen. So they make out a bit and begin to 69 as creepy as watching them. George is fucking Anne again and pulls out to come on her belly. John and Rose are making out, fondling each other. Then we see them fucking cowgirl, then missionary. Rose is sucking John's cock, and he apparently comes on her face. We then cut to Creepy talking to Paul. Creepy tells Paul, He did it with all your daughters and your wife and Rose, your maid. Paul confirms, Was it really Rose? And Creepy tells him, He came on her face twice. And... He also confirms to him that she really seemed to love it. So Paul demands that Creepy go get John. George is fucking Anne more, and we see him pull out and come on her belly again from a different angle, and he pushes his cock back into her. John then joins Paul in his room. John asks how it's going. John asks, how's it going? Paul pulls out a gun and says, this is how it's going. Yeah, there's a... Uh... A sudden tone shift. Yes. He asks if John fucked his wife, his three kids, and Rose. John wants to give an explanation and tells him when he's done, he could shoot him if he wants. John explains that he got this perfume that they noticed the first night at a store. And ever since then, everyone goes crazy when they smell it. Paul says that he wants to believe him, so John lets him smell the bottle. And the scene kind of blooms out and we cut to Rose blowing Paul with some dreamy, wavy effects. Paul then tells John, listen to me. The very first time Rose came here, he was with her for a long time. I trained her. I taught her. I was the only man who had ever been with her. He explains one day, they changed roles. One day, she stuck her finger in his ass. It was the most sexually exciting moment I'd ever had in my life. When I came, it hurt me way down inside. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's scared. <laughs> Paul says he craved this, and one day she went to the store and got a dildo. We see them making out and her producing the dildo. He knows that he thought it would hurt him, but it felt fantastic. We see Rose fucking Paul with the dildo, I think this shot is faked because we can't really see the penetration. Yeah, I think there's any time anal comes up in this film, I think it's faked. Paul tells John that he never thought he'd want a man. But I do. I want a man now. I want you, John, now. And I'm going to have you. Or I'm going to blow you to pieces. <laughs> <laughs> Paul circles John with the gun and holds the gun behind him. 
And then we cut to John in the therapist's office. He tells his therapist that he did fuck him in the ass. He explains he never liked the homosexual experience, and that's why I'm here. He asks the therapist if he's abnormal. The therapist tells him he's not abnormal. He's just a person that has very strong sexual desires. The therapist then asks if he's considered that he might have hallucinated some of these dreams. He says he has, and that's why I brought along this box and the perfume. Ah. The therapist takes the perfume out of the box and smells it, noting, It's a very nice scent. After a moment, she seems to get a bit woozy. John, tell me something, John. Do you find me attractive? She starts to flirt and tell him she wants him. She asks if he'll make love to her, like he made love to all of them. They embrace, and then we freeze frame. And on screen, we get the text, Coming soon, a worthy sequel. (laughs) And then we get credits. A bit of a bit of a cliffhanger here. Yes, uh, much like our recent uh, for, foray into the Devil and Miss Jones Part Three. Yes, this I feel like is at least there's more of an ending to it because uh, even his therapist can't resist him. So you're like, okay, there's no resolution to his problems. Uh, yeah, um, that's at least something. It's not, you could end with this and be like, okay, this is what happened. It's good enough, but... but uh, uh, it's not like The Devil and Miss Jones where she was halfway through hell and then stopped. Right, exactly. It makes a better, uh, it gives you a stopping point in case the money doesn't work out for the sequel. Yes, and it uh, gives us a point where we don't have to rush to cover the sequel to this if we don't want to. Right, before we forget it. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, that was the New Erotic Adventures of Casanova, part one. <laughs> yeah, that was, um, they certainly were new. Yes. If nothing else. I had not seen them before. Yes. Uh, I don't know about erotic. And really, adventures might be a stretch, too. He stays in one location. It's and really, tough to say that that's an adventure. And really, Casanova is kind of only the first part. Really, a lot of this title is a lie, is what I think I'm getting to. I think that's uh, true, and I think we'll have a chance to break that down soon. Yes, so we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back to give our final thoughts on The New Erotic Adventures of Casanova. But do you like to watch Carlos Tobolina films? Sometimes. Okay, that's fair enough. And um, I'll explain the difference when I do. 
the raincoat reveal. <laughs> I like to watch about half of this. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> uh, this has a lot of the same problems that uh, some of the worst Carlos Tobolina movies have. Yeah. Where it's just like an undifferentiated pile of uh, body parts writhing to and fro. Yeah. Uh, they get up to different stuff, but it's uh, it's hard to keep track of who's who. Yeah. And uh, most of the characters aren't actually introduced. The only way that I was able to make my notes, and I might have messed up on some of them, but mm-hmm. like the only way I was able to make notes is by the scene breakdowns on the Internet Adult Film Database. Just kind of following along with that and comparing it to the IMDb credits. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I don't like that this film began as a period piece and then transitioned. <laughs> yeah. It makes me think they ran out of money really quickly doing the movie they wanted to do. <laughs> uh, like the first part of it's uh, pretty interesting. You have... Uh, Obviously, John Holmes dressed up in period outfit doing uh, sword fights and so forth. Right. And even when they're having a sword fight sword fight in the park where you can see the sidewalk that uh, <laughs> joggers use, uh, it's still pretty fun. Right. But I feel like almost all of that gets sucked out almost immediately once you cut to the modern day. Right. Now, there's some stuff you could do with this that would make it more fun, but... Uh, Carlos Tobolina, or perhaps John Holmes, uh, just seemed to lack the imagination to carry that out. Right. Uh, he has, like, the magic perfume that makes everyone horny. See, I thought that was a good start. Like, yeah. w- when we switched to modern day, it was unexpected, but I was like, okay, this is starting to get interesting. And yeah. just as it started to get interesting, it just became a bunch of sex scenes. Yeah, it just becomes, yeah, like, a, it's just uh, the typical... It's not even really an orgy because there's several different sex scenes, but yeah, it's usually, presented in such a way where they're all intercut together that it becomes difficult to discern who's who, right? Or to really care. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, that's the majority of unfortunately that's the majority of the film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, that just is a uh, it's tough to carry a longer running time than uh, even last week's film, which I th- I thought was uh pretty good despite its time constraints this one goes on far too long with far too much of the same material just uh tossed at you right right and uh, quickly abandons its concept just to uh just a fuck uh and uh i i'm not a big fan of that i i was prepared to give this uh higher marks at first uh i, I was pleasantly uh pleased with the uh the periodic with the uh period element scenes of it yeah but uh it does my attention does sharply decline once we hit the uh kind of once we hit the skids yeah yeah uh and it just happens so fast and with almost no warning that it's a (laughs) a bit of a shock to me and i never quite recover my uh interest i I would say being generous, I would give this two and a half. Okay. Uh, it's got some uh, ideas to it that can be interesting, that could be exploited better, but unfortunately are not. Right. And we end up with a, a pretty typical uh, adult film at yeah. the end of it. Uh, 
maybe even a little bit below par. Right. Uh, I I wouldn't highly recommend this one if you're looking for a Tobolina film to get into. Yeah. Even on films of a similar level, I would recommend Pulsating Flesh. Pulsating Flesh at least had, like, some interesting ideas that were being, like, there's a lot of funny dialogue and just, like, weird stuff going on, even Mm -hmm. though the sex is kind of uninspired. Yeah, and I was expecting that to be kind of how this was at first. Right. just the period details of it made it more fun than uh, a typical Tobolina film. Yeah. And uh, like I said, I don't know if they ran out of money or what the entire plan is. Mm-hmm. But uh, I suppose we'll have to check out the worthy sequel to really know. <laughs> but uh, at the moment, I- I- I'm underwhelmed. That's fair. Well... I uh, agree with most of that. I think that this film, it started out all right. Honestly, in the sex scene with the three women uh, at towards the beginning, I started to lose my interest. Sure. And right as I was losing my interest, the modern day stuff started, and that gained my interest again. Right. And when he was like, oh, I found this box, and inside this box was this magical cologne and all of this, I started to get really interested there's, there's in it. There's a lot to... to- you could do with that concept yeah but it, it takes like um as you said like the most uh topolino route imaginable yeah it like so he then goes to the spawn ranch and has sex with a bunch of people and they just have sex scenes for an hour mm-hmm. and none of them are like that exciting yeah and, and you don't you have even less un- idea of who the characters are than you would uh, in most films. I yeah. Feel like. And, you know, again, like I said, I consulted the Internet Adult Film Database to do my notes and, like, had to keep pausing and trying to figure stuff out and solving puzzles, more or less. Uh, you know, if you were just watching the film and not trying to make notes, you wouldn't have to do that. But ultimately, you'd be like, who are all these people and why are they fucking and... At the end of the day, the answer is because of John Holmes's magical cologne, but I feel like there's a lot more you could do with that concept. I would say the sex scenes are okay, but not great. I would say that the music is okay, but not great. I would say that the plot had promise at a few occasions. Like I like the fact that there was a sword fight and John Holmes killed a man. Mm-hmm. And I also like the fact of him like finding this mysterious box and this mysterious cologne, but right. there was nothing else done with it other than everybody smelled it and got horny. And then at the very end, his therapist is like, fuck me. And then the film ends. Right. I don't know. So I'm going to give it two stars. I think yeah. that it's actually like something like pulsating flesh. I would definitely recommend over this. Pulsating Flesh has uninspired sex, but has a lot of funny dialogue and just, like, more concepts that, while they're not, like, fully developed or explored, they're still, like, amusing. Right, and you get lost in trying to figure out exactly where you are in the film. Right, and this um, is... this is wise but this one has, like, it's 2D, and that <laughs> one's, like, 4D, <laughs> you know? I would say that, like... It isn't, I'm happy to have seen it just as somebody who's covered 150-something episodes of Mm -hmm. a podcast, 150-something films, but if I were somebody, like, 
trying to find a fuck film who had seen a reasonable number of fuck films, <clears throat> I would probably be, be disappointed by the fact that I spent my time watching this film when I could have watched something like I Like to Watch or mm. uh, our Patreon episode where we're covering an adaptation of a popular TV show. Actually, no. Let me take that back. You I would rather watch this. Yeah. But anyhow. <laughs> but you can still pay $5 to yes. hear. <laughs> I think our dialogue on that will be entertaining. But anyhow. Uh, yeah, so that's the new erotic adventures of Casanova. I feel a requirement to uh, return to this subject at some point in the future, but it will not be quickly. <laughs> anyhow. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Raincoat Report. RaincoatReport at gmail.com if you want to email us. Patreon.com slash Raincoat Report if you want to follow us on Patreon. And, uh, you know, if you're going to open the magical box and find the magical cologne that makes everybody horny, you should probably not forget your raincoat because it's going to get messy real quick. Mm-hmm. That's, um... That's how it happened to me. <laughs> I like this podcast not ending on a strong moment. Uh, it it's fitting to the film. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, just wait till next week. Yeah, next week will be something better. I'm sure. We gotta find out. We'll find out. <laughs>